this episode of Dig Me Out. You can tell when she's inspired and when she's not. Have you ever listened to Juliana Hatfield in your life? It's a formula that kind of became popular for a, a long time and still is now. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I am your host, Tim Minichi. Joining me once again, Jason Ziak. Jason, first topic. Yeah. Okay. Ben Bernanke and the Fed. What are we going to do about inflation? Print more money? Or does that cause inflation? Treason. This will be old jokes by the time this episode comes out. So That's the only negative thing, because we record this ahead of time. We don't do this the day it comes out, which would be impossible yeah. because that would mean we'd have to record it at like three in the morning it comes out at like seven in the morning on Tuesday. yeah we're not uh or i guess we could do it on really monday inter- night i'm not really interested in doing actual work right so any joke i tell if it's topical it's going to be about two weeks behind so my ben bernanke treason joke uh while funny <laughs> today is two weeks from now not funny so was ben bernanke in the news today yeah, he was. Rick Perry, the new uh, Republican candidate running for president in 2012, uh, said in his first speech that if Ben Bernanke were to start to print more money, he would be it would be treasonous. Oh, I didn't know that. I just responded with the only answer I knew. Right. Uh, yeah. So... Seceding from the union is not treasonous, but printing more money is. Yes. Okay, okay, I'm I'm clear on that now. For all of our Australian and uh, UK listeners, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, <laughs> you have your own problems, and you don't care about our problems here. So we apologize for the preceding uh, political discussion. And we're going to get on to the music, because that's what matters on Dig Me Out. Jay, I selected our... F- no, I... I... <laughs> I selected what I believe to be as our first solo artist. Is that correct? It, um, isn't this album it's really titled as a band? It's attributed to the Juliana Hatfield Free, where we are reviewing Juliana Hatfield's... Uh, that sounds 19- like a band to me. 1993 album, Come What You Are. Uh, it's attributed to the Juliana Hatfield Free. It's kind of an odd... Uh, thing because her first album as a solo artist well i'll get into this in the history um let's do that let's get let's get let's do the history of juliana hatfield history of the band. it's odd because you can't say juliana hatfield was formed <laughs> like you would with <laughs> juliana hatfield was formed in 1967 uh by her parents philip and julie hatfield uh, she was born in uh, July in Wiscasset, Maine, uh, and grew up in the Boston suburb of Duxbury. Oh. Uh, was a Boston Globe fashion critic, and her uh, dad was a radiologist. Or those keeping track at home. Uh, she... I will say that. This story sounds very waspy. Yeah, it kind of does. It has a little bit of waspiness. <laughs> Um, she was introduced by a babysitter to the music of Los Angeles punk band X. And she 
cited that as a life-changing experience. She had interests which ranged from the pop of Olivia Newton-John to bands like The Police, which I guess you would consider early police to be kind of punk, new wave. Um, she sang in school choirs and briefly blit played in a Rush cover band called The Squids in high school. Why would a Rush cover band call The Squids? Don't know. But Rush nerds, please let us know why that would be. I, I, I know you're out there. Yeah, I don't know why that would be called The Squids, but... I'm sure hey. it's some strange, obscure reference to... You gotta give her credit for singing uh, Rush songs as a high school kid. Well, and imagine fantastic. that made her real popular. So upon graduating, <laughs> upon graduating from Duxbury High School, uh, Julianne Hatfield attended Boston University for a semester, then transferred to the Berklee College of Music as a piano student. Hmm. Soon met fellow Berklee students, Frida Boner, who later changed um, her name to Frida Love, and John Strome. And they formed a band called the Blake Babies. Julianne Hafford was eight, uh, 19 at the time. This was 1986 when the band formed. Uh, she sang and played bass, as well as some guitar and piano on the records. They signed to Mammoth Records and got some college radio play in the 19, early, early 1990s. Uh, did some touring of the United States and Europe. And... Eventually, Juliana graduated from Berkeley with a degree in songwriting, which is not something that a lot of people have, especially people in bands, which I find interesting. Because you think if you're in a band and you went to college, your major should be songwriting. Just putting it out there. Um, That's very, very interesting. So in 1991, the group broke up, uh, but the Blake Babies reformed in 99, played a few shows. And then put out a new album called God Bless the, B the Blake Babies, which got positive reviews. Uh, they did some originals and some covers of songs by Ben Lee and Matter Rose. Following the Blake Babies breakup in 91, uh, Juliana released her first solo album, Hey Babe, in 1992. It was the number one, or one, it was one of the highest selling independent records of 1992. Uh, she hired. Todd Phillips, not the drum, not the uh, movie director, but the drummer from the band Moving Targets, to uh, play drums, and Thud Pucker bassist Dean Fisher, and they formed the Juliana Hatfield Three. They recorded and released uh, "Become What You Are" under the name the Juliana Hatfield Three. The song "My Sister" became the number one, uh, became a number one modern track hit, and received heavy rotation on MTV. Uh, Spin the Bottle was used in the film Reality Bites in 1994. And uh, she was featured on the cover of Spin Magazine. This uh, was followed by the 1995 album Only Everything, which uh, Juliana described as she turned up the volume and distortion and had a lot of fun. And I don't know if you've... That was the album that I discovered her on, Jay. I don't know if you've ever listened to any Juliana Hatfield albums before this one. Um, 
but that had the song uh, Universal Heartbeat on it, which is a definitely a harder rock song than the stuff that's on uh, most of this album. And there was a video for it on MTV. Uh, she uh, replaced Phillips and brought in drummer Jason Stutter, who had also who also played with uh, Chris Cornell as his solo drummer and American Hi-Fi and uh, Jack Drag. And then brought in also Ed Slanker on second guitar and Lisa Mednick on keyboard. So they had a five-piece band um, or four-piece band touring uh, for this album. But after the tour started to support it, uh, they canceled and she returned home because of nervous exhaustion. Um, it was interesting. She's kind of, what? She must be kind of a pain in the ass, huh? Well, she described that the uh, issue that she was having is that um, it was she was sort of not disgruntled, but sort of uh, concerned about the fact that she had gotten success really fast and didn't know how to handle it. Um, I'm guessing there might have been some drugs involved. I don't know. She was hanging around with Evan Dando a lot. You can. Was she, was she really that successful that it was a problem? She was on the cover of Spin Magazine and had a number one single and got number one single. It. Yeah, on uh, my sister was a modern rock number one single. Okay, modern rock. Well, at the time, modern rock kind of mattered. It wasn't like. Okay, well, she was as big as like. Uh, All right, let me just uh, let me just wrap up the. There's uh, a billion bands around from that time period that had number right. one modern rock singles that were able to keep their shit together. So after taking a break for a month, they returned to the road, and Phillips returned to the band, and the opening act for the tour was Jeff Buckley. In the following year, '96, uh, the band traveled to Woodstock, New York, to record the follow-up album God's Foot, but the uh, record label Atlantic sent the tracks back three times saying they didn't hear a single and eventually uh, Juliana requested to be released from her contract. The label said okay but held on to all the songs and because they had paid about 180000 for the recordings at this point mm -hmm. so she went on um, her own and recorded an EP called Please Do Not Disturb which was came out on Bar None Records um, she then recorded the album uh, Bed in 1998 in six days. In 2000, she recorded um, and released Beautiful Creature, which was the most critically acclaimed album of her career. She released a second album at the same time called Juliana's Pony Total System Failure. They were sort of the uh, one was a sort of quiet melodic album. Uh, and the other one, Total System Failure, was a distorted, um, sloppy guitar solo, um, noisy rock album, which was the worst out received album of career, uh, <laughs> which is interesting, um, having both those things come out at the same time. On Beautiful Creature, the interesting note about that one is that David Garza co-produced most of the album. And if you're familiar with David Garza, you win a prize. He's a rather obscure, uh, I guess, musician from the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. She had a best of come out in 2002 called Gold Stars, 1992 to 2002. 
where a couple of the unreleased God Foot, God's Foot songs came out, as well as a cover of Neil Young's Only Love Can Break Your Heart. In 2004, she released In Exile Dio, which was produced with, I didn't get the name, but a couple of people who had worked with Pink and Avril Lavigne. So it looked like she was trying to take the Liz Fair route and bring in some you know, outside producers to sort of, I don't know, spice up the songwriting to make it a little more commercial. But she ended up producing the entire album herself, and um, it did well critically, but did not sell very well. The following year, in 2005, she released Made in China, which she released was the first release on her own record label, Ye Old Records. And 2006, she released a live album, the White Line, the White Broken Line live recordings. In 2008, she released another album on her own ra- uh, label, How to Walk Away. 2010, Peace and Love was released on her record label and as we are releasing this episode uh, she was releasing a brand new record August 30th there is always another girl is also coming out on E Old Records I believe that correct me if I'm wrong Jay the 30th is is that a Tuesday I mean we're recording this on the 16th so uh, yeah, roughly, yeah. Okay. 22nd is, is a Monday, so it's a Monday or Tuesday. Okay. So we are coinciding this with the release of her uh, her new album. Um, so that's the truncated history of Juliana Hatfield. Um, we're going to get specifically to her 1993 album, Come What You Are. Uh, which was released on Mammoth and produced by Scott Litt. And I'm trying to think if there's anything else that's relevant before we get to well, discussion. I have a question for you. Yeah. Based on the fact that she was so successful and the song, the second song on this album was such a huge hit, does this, how does this qualify for our show? Well, it could just, I would say successful in the 90s sort of realm i think if you went to a lot of people today and said what's your favorite juliana juliana hatfield record they'd be like who the hell is juliana hatfield i don't think that that she's pearl jam level of you know or or silver chair level of (laughs) uh of notoriety when it comes to the 90s okay um i'm just checking to see yeah i think her uh cred is a little bit different than oh now it's based on cred well i i just i I think that there's a you know there's something different going on with um her stuff than they we're not gonna do show crow's record no show crow is definitely a pop artist Whereas, I didn't know cred was part of the criteria, but hey, maybe cred was the wrong word. I'm sorry, I didn't know this. Think was... maybe... No, you're gonna play the gotcha game. <laughs> <laughs> How about we just get into the record, Jay? You're the one that brought up politics. I, I, I did. I'm sorry about that. Now, I'm just going at this like for a couple pundits on Fox News. I, I uh, okay, uh, Sean. What do you? <laughs> I can't wait to hear what. Have you ever listened to Juliana Hatfield in your life? Um, so this is a band that uh, I'm band. 
person I'm aware of because uh, essentially you and everybody I know from from college uh, talked about constantly. Uh, I've tried to listen to her a couple times in the past and just didn't really get anywhere. Um, I think I have that Blake Babies album from 2001 or whatever. I think you do. Um, so maybe I'll go back and visit that. Um, I knew the song My Sister um, somehow. I don't know why. Because it was all um, over radio in the 90s, dude. Come on. Well, okay. That's right. I forgot. She could barely handle it. It was so popular. Um, so, you know, I was interested to dig into this. And I, honestly, going into it, I sort of expected to appreciate it more than I, than I would have at the time it came out. Um, and in some ways, I, I think I did. I think there's um, some components here that really work well. Uh, I think there's probably three or, three or four songs on here that are, that are really well, well written and different. Unfortunately, I think there's probably three or four on here that are not very good songs, which is... <laughs> and, there, and there's one component about it that I'm going to bring up but for why, why I'm qualifying them as not very good songs, um, which is particularly interesting when you're saying that she had a degree in songwriting um there is a a flow of from track i would say five through nine where she goes into like the rhyming by number stuff so I'll, i'll give you some examples so starting with track five she goes into this cycle of um these really obvious rhymes that that are so distracting and kind of embarrassing that it makes it really hard to get to the choruses, which are which are usually pretty good. So track five features the uh, the say day okay sequence. Track six features a real feel deal and meal sequence. Track eight features a a round town ground and down sequence. Nine features um, 
star bar car and R sequence. It's just like, wow, uh, somebody who studied songwriting. I don't could think fall that so, something like that. It's just not so necessarily. Bad. That's. I, I, I'm kind of. I mean, I can hear what you're saying, but that's not I mean, necessarily songwriting. That's lyricism, and that's taking lyrics out of the context of a rock song can be. You know, there are, are plenty of well-respected songwriters that have rhyme things that you go. That's kind of a weak rhyme when you when you take it out of the context of what the song is. When I think of songwriting, I'm thinking like, how are you, you connecting hear, uh, verses and choruses? How are you playing around with cadences and phrasing? But and, those rhymes are so like, they're so painfully predictable that it kills whatever she's trying to do during those sequences. And it's not like it's in one song, which would be like, okay, fine. It's in like five in a row. Like the verses are like so mailed in. Um, now, on a lot of those songs, actually the choruses are really good. But to get to them, you basically have to go through this really lethargic, predictable, not very interesting verse. And then you get to a chorus and you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then it goes back to that verse again. You're like, oh, God, wake me when the chorus comes again. Um, and I just think that, that, that I don't know, it's just kind of a, it, I read it as kind of a laziness in terms of lyrics that you can't, like, you can't come up with anything better than that. I mean, that's something like when you first start writing songs that everybody does, or you write a poem and it's like everybody does those obvious rhymes and then you throw them out and like, I can't possibly actually do that. Um, and like I said, if it happened once, I'd be like, all right, fine, that's, that's, acceptable but it happens like five times in a row <laughs> it's like really obvious and distracting um so you know i think like i said i think tracks two and three are awesome i think track 11 is really good sort of has a cool like cheap trick almost kind of uh pop sensibility to it that works really well I think the bass playing on this album is really good. I was curious to hear who the bass player was. Uh, Dean Fisher and Julianne Hatfield played all the guitars. There is no, there is no other guitar player. Yeah, I mean, and in the, in the, in the, the sound of the band is pretty cool. They sound like a, they sound like a real band in a room, um, which is kind of refreshing. 
Um, guitar tone wise, she sort of has like a Fender um, kind of midi, mid rangey kind of guitar. I was going to ask about that because and I, I want to highlight track three. This is the sound. Um, it's when she really kicks up the volume on the guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, is that more of an overdrive that she's using, especially for the um, uh, the chorus of that song? And the, the, that's not distortion because it's not distorted. It's is it that she's just using kicking up the overdrive or something on the on the amp? Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, it definitely has more of an overdrive sound. It, it sounds like a she's probably using some effect in there to kind of create some, some dynamics, but it's really sounds a lot to me like an amp you know just kind of a straight amp a fender amp that's uh you know just tuned to be overdriven a little bit tweaked to be overdriven a little bit and uh she may augment it with a with a pedal or two further but it's a it's a really honest guitar sound which i was kind of refreshing and i liked especially when you hear how um just as a band how well they play together and they do these nice like kind of little interludes here and there sometimes they're the intros to the song sometimes they'll be like the turnaround coming from the chorus back to the verse um these little instrumental parts that that are really well done um sometimes they're they're you know one of my favorite parts of the song like my sister starts off with this like kind of intro that I don't think they ever bring back in the song. Um, that's actually really cool. It has a weird kind of time to it, and um, has a really um, neat like melodic bass line to it. And that happens a couple other times in the album where um, it, it just reminds you that the, it's a real band. It's three people really playing these songs together, which is uh, kind of refreshing. It's one of the things I enjoyed about the album.
I said that earlier that I, I sort of got into Juliana Hatfield with the album that follows this, uh, and I, I made my way back to Hey Babe and then and then this record, um, neither of which I'm I, I love all the way through. I think there are a lot of good songs on them, but um, I sort of you know, I, I sort of feel like the second half of the record I get a little bored with it. I don't feel there's as much diversity as as the beginning of the record, um, but I did find some stuff interesting in both in revisiting the lyrics and then in doing some sort of reading about her lyric writing. Um, first is that she tackles a lot of different stuff on this record. Uh, the first song, Supermodel, in which she's basically giving a critique of the whole industry of, mm -hmm. you know, from I guess it would be from the perspective of the boyfriend. Um, mm -hmm. is interesting and then um, the song For the Birds track 4 which I don't really necessarily love the entire song but it's a really interesting sort of take on mortality and she sings about how um, she doesn't necessarily love being around people but uh, this seeing this bird dying reminds her of her own you know, mortality and um just there was some for a tw basically a 25 year old who's writing this who's just out of college but there were like some pretty mature lyrics that you wouldn't find from like a 25 year old guy who was in a you know unless he read a lot of you know philosophy or something in college mm -hmm. you weren't going to get that sort of interesting um, insight but then the other thing that was really interesting in terms of her songwriting ability is the song my sister juliana hatfield has no sister and you listen to that song, and you're like, wow, there's a lot of really interesting details. Like, she talks about how her sister took her to her first rock show to see the Violent Femmes and the Del Fuegos. Yeah, that, that's all made up. Hmm. Just someone who's crafting a story for a song and finding an interesting lyric and an interesting melody. And with with regards to the what you mentioned earlier with some of the sameness and, and the rhyming, I think the one thing that I... I would point to is that I, from song to song, there's not a lot of repetitive repetitiveness in her phrasing or in her cadence when she's singing. Mm -hmm. Every song she approaches with a completely different take, and her voice really doesn't change. She has that like thin, sort of girlish, almost like a you know a indie Belinda Carlisle um, vocal. Yeah, I write on Belinda Carlisle too. But, but it's, it's sort, of, sort of like an immature and Belinda Carlisle, right? Exactly. Like a girl version. But that, and you know, that's her voice. That's how she sounds on everything she sings on. That's just her. That's just her voice. But yet she makes it work because it adds. I want to say, almost like a naivety to some of the lyrics when she's singing about mortality, when she's singing about you know, making a social criticism when it's supermodel, um, or even in my sister. You know, you're you're hearing this and you're thinking, oh, wow, she does have an older sister, because this is the sound of someone who's young, and would have a, an older sister to look up to. So she mm -hmm. actually uses that to like a really good effect, um, that she has this sort of, you know, young, um, thin vocal. Well, that's what I mean. I think for me, when the album works the best is when you contrast that with something, with you know, there's some dark, either chord progressions or sort of sounds and when you mesh that voice with with those sorts of tones 
um, that's when it, it really works well for me. Um, so that's, and I think that happens on the first probably three songs, and then again, you know, like I think track Lovin' is good, but all the stuff in the middle, I think, which you sort of said too, it it, it really sounds. You can tell blatantly on this album, maybe more than any other album we've reviewed on this show, you can tell when she's inspired and when she's not. Like, there are some parts of songs or songs in their whole where you can just tell that she's not really that inspired by it. Um, then there's others where, you know, like you said, she's making up entire narratives. She's um, presenting really complex sort of scenarios and stories and... Um, feelings and then there's other ones where it's just like oh you know i need to write a couple more songs and fill this out or this verse i don't really know what to say so i'm just gonna kind of go with something and then she gets to the chorus and all of a sudden it sounds inspired again because you know she felt that but the other parts of the songs like you i don't know for me i could blatantly hear like oh she's kind of mailing this in right now um what was your take on track nine spin the bottle because i know that it's it's probably the most different because there's no drums on that song. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a kind of a up tempo acoustic song. But it's told it's it's I think it's supposed to be written from the perspective of a high school girl. And yeah. I Go ahead. I, I was gonna say I know they some of the lyric you know, rhyming troubled you, but I almost feel like it works in that song because it's coming from basically the perspective of someone who would be writing like bad teenage um, you know, uh, poetry or in their journal or something like yeah. that. He's a movie star, only drives rented cars. Met him in a bar, said, I know who you are. Took him to my party as the games were started. So that, that's an example of if that's the only song that featured that, I would, probably would have got it. But it's in the sequence of the album, it's the fourth. Um, I I found it odd. I, I guess I I was through a little bit thrown off by um, you know obviously a woman in her mid twenties writing writing a song like that. I, I guess I I didn't quite it didn't pull me in enough to say. Oh, I'm I'm being a character right now. It sort of came off to me as almost like a novelty kind of thing. Gotcha. So it, it I don't know. It didn't really. It wasn't one of my favorite songs on the album. Um, I don't know. Did it? Did, I mean, doesn't didn't it seem a little novelty to you almost? Like it, it it has an element of her. 
not blatantly writing a pop song because it's not necessarily poppy, but going for a very specific sound. And a sentiment that a lot of people. I feel like that that song spawned a lot of bad music in the 90s. Like a lot of women heard that, and then they then Lisa Loeb wrote "Stay." Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking about. I was thinking about that. But they didn't hear the guitar playing that I think is really good across the board on this record. There's a cool lead on track seven, "Addicted." Um, at the beginning of that song, and then even the songs necessarily, didn't necessarily stand up vocally or, or lyrically, um, like A Dame with a Rod. Um, there's some cool guitar stuff going on, and pretty much across the board. talked about in the Magnapop um, episode how Juliana Hatfield actually wrote a song about Ruthie Morris because she liked her guitar playing so much but I think that Juliana Hatfield's guitar playing is just as good or is on par with you know there 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 isn't as much up-tempo straight-up rocking but her ability to layer a melodic picking part on top of the chord progression um, which you know, I got to imagine she was doing that live, where she was playing leads and and singing and you know, doing arpeggios and stuff like that. That's not necessarily easy. Mm-hmm. I was pretty impressed going back and listening to all that. Yeah. Um. Back back to spin the ball before I forget. I I think what I heard was all those all those um, artists that came after her that did that were you could tell were kind of inspired by that idea um so when i heard that song i heard all those artists which i didn't like i thought of that what was that song um it was called i kissed a girl or something oh jill sobiel yeah like I, that song came to my head when i heard when i was listening to this which i was like oh what, you know again was like a novelty kind of thing you know right. and uh i don't know it just brought up all of that kind of uh that material from that time that, that I thought was just kind of so contrived, you know, and that, that I think that's probably the best word I could use to describe my reaction to that song was just that it was sort of so contrived and sort of trying to go for some sentimental, like, you know, nostalgia idea of like, oh, remember when we were 13, we used to play Spin the Bottle and, you know, trying to really tap into that, which sort of seemed to try a little too hard for me but well that's okay you, know? you don't have to love every song and you don't have to appreciate I don't know sometimes with you I think I do <sighs> look there are flaws with this album this isn't 
Yeah, I, I'm, if if we were reviewing, say, Uncle Tupelo, and you started cra taking crap on that, <laughs> um, then there might be an issue with us having to step outside. Um, but that's down the road. That's September. And we'll be getting to that. But this is this was one I wanted to revisit just because I hadn't listened to it in so long, and I wasn't as familiar with it as I was with some of the other stuff. So I was. Well, yeah. I was glad to get it, give it a chance. I kind of felt like it in a in a, a way. It was like the opposite of that cult record, which was an, a a big band that put out a record and it did nothing, and was completely. They were trying to sound like what was going on, whereas this was a, an artist of the moment who was you know lauded for her sound and. Um, I kind of wanted to dig out that and see what was what was about that that was sort of that sort of made that um, relevant because there's no way that she would sell a record now if she was coming out she wouldn't have five records on Atlantic you know what I yeah. mean Julian Hatfield wouldn't exist in this market but yet she was able to get on the cover of Spin in 1993 so well I think you touched on it obviously she sort of at least started a movement um that quickly a lot of other artists um, took advantage of. Either they, you know, copied it, or they were signed because they were similar to. Or, and it was really that, in some ways, if you think about just the sound, um, well, not even beyond the sound. So I mean, you you got this sort of little girl vocal, right? This cute, sort of innocent sounding vocal, and you mix that with either a dark sounding music and or a um, dark theme. And it was something that kind of, it's a formula that kind of became popular for a, a long time and still is now. Um, and I think she was one of the first ones, at least for the 90s bands, to, to do that. Um, so I think that's probably why in 93 when this came out, it was a big deal. But now when you listen back to it, for me, because so many other people have done it, it doesn't really do as much as maybe it would have at the time interesting i don't know i i was i was really looking forward to going back and listen to it and i and i can hear some things in here um that i do like i said i really like and um but it certainly didn't uh i don't think it held up as well as maybe either of us would have expected it to i was expecting more from it no and i and i do want to go back eventually and listen to um the album that uh that came out after this only everything because that was the album i really got into her um, with and it's a bit more rocking so uh, I think you know, there's a lot of albums where we've reviewed one of them and then we want to go back and check out the other one eventually we'll get to those but that's one I definitely want to hit upon so I would say for most of those so far when I've gone back and listened to the other other albums I feel like we picked the right one so well with Helmet we didn't <laughs> we definitely picked the wrong one with Helmet well, I would argue that Meantime is not an album that we should do for this show, but I think it's too big. But but apparently they have cred, so we should do it. Uh, Are your balls hurt yet? I can't wait for Neil to be here so that I can take some of the heat off of me for what I say. Focus your rage upon him. Oh, I don't have. For when he speaks uh, incorrectly, there's the wrong word. 
<laughs> More fun to do with you. Let's wrap this up. Let's uh, let's say you know, there's a couple good songs here on um, "Become What You Are," and if you're already a Juliana Hatfield fan, you know that. If you're not, check out the first couple songs. Um, you might, you know, get you into this whole record. It might not, um, but definitely check out. I, I think the tracks that I would highlight are definitely "My Sister" and um, "This Is the Sound." Are the are the two that I kept hearing in my head. Especially that chorus on This Is The Sound. Just a really cool chorus with the dynamics that she uses. Yep. So. I agree. Cool. All right. If uh, you want to give us some feedback on our review of Come What You Are, visit our website, digmeoutpodcast.com, and uh, drop us an email at digmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. Especially if you're going to insult us. That's what we love best. So send us an angry um, email or post and let us know what we're doing wrong. Because that helps us get better. It's stronger. We're more prepared for the future. Anything else, Jay? Uh, negative. All right. Thanks, everybody. I'm already checking we'll be... my email. What? I'm already checking my email. Second. Well, we've just recorded this, Jay. I don't think you're going to need get an email yet. But good, good on you. Good on you. All right. Thanks, everybody. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Visit digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. Come